3: And that's the problem with our sort of myth of meritocracy, in the sense that we have these myths that we tell ourselves, these stories that we tell ourselves about how the students who do the best in school are just the students who work the hardest or the students who are the smartest.
0: I think back to when I was in college, I can remember thinking from time to time, I don't think that professor likes me. No particular reason, you know. And then if you ever got a bad grade or any kind of criticism, you would think, see, I told you. That guy doesn't like me. I remember thinking at the time, wouldn't it be great if, you know, the classwork and the exams could be somehow, it would be anonymous. All right, I promise not to rehash any more old memories of my college professors, but the story of how the students of a well-respected professor at New York University got him kicked out of his own classroom made us wonder, who really holds the power in higher education? I'm Mike Rogers, and this is Something Off Offbeat, the podcast where we dig a little deeper into the stories
2: that leave us wanting to know more. I think there's a fascinating debate about whether or not practicing clinicians, physicians, really do need to be up to date on organic chemistry and synthetic techniques, but it is for sure a critical enabling knowledge base.
0: Now, the subject in question in this story is organic chemistry. Just saying that is intimidating. And you want to talk about a guaranteed F, but not just for me. Last fall, Dr. Maitland Jones, a professor at NYU, was dismissed. A few months after 82 of his 350 students signed a petition against him, according to the New York Times, their complaint
2: that Jones' class was just too hard. So this is a really crucial topic. Um, But it doesn't mean that it needs to be a weeder subject.
0: Ken Kirschenbaum is a professor of chemistry at NYU. He was a colleague of Jones at the university. Shortly after Jones' dismissal, he spoke to
2: Odyssey's KNX in Los Angeles. And I think that that's another unfortunate aspect about organic chemistry, that it's gotten the reputation that this needs to be the class that's going to separate those who are going to succeed from those who just aren't going to cut it. It doesn't need to be that kind of class. When they are
3: used as weed-out courses, research shows that that helps to exacerbate inequalities in terms of who gets the chance to advance in these kinds of fields. And that's in part because The way that students perform, especially on things like really high stakes tests or in high stakes classes, is very much a function of the kinds of stressors that they're feeling in their
0: lives. Dr. Jessica Calarco is an acting associate professor of sociology at the University of Wisconsin.
3: I also study education and especially inequalities in education and how the kinds of decisions that teachers or professors make in their classes can have consequences um, for the opportunities that students have in in their lives and, and in their careers, for example.
0: Jones retired in 2007 after more than four decades at Princeton and then began teaching at NYU on a series of yearly contracts.
2: He was for sure old school in the best sense of that term. Um, He was a highly regarded faculty member at Princeton University for decades, and he literally wrote the book on organic chemistry. Um, That is not just an expression. He did exactly that.
0: That book is now in its fifth edition, and according to the Times, Jones changed the way the subject is taught, moving away from memorization and towards problem solving.
2: Uh, And after teaching and being a highly regarded professor at Princeton, he joined our faculty at NYU, and he was a really great colleague, and I was glad to know him.
0: When she heard that Jones had been fired, Calarco wrote an op-ed in the Times entitled The NYU Chemistry Students Shouldn't Have Needed That Petition
3: i think there's a whole system that's that's structured around professors especially at elite institutions that tells them that it's their job to be weeding out uh, the students who can't quote unquote can't cut it um, and, and to find those quote unquote best and the brightest students and push them on to the next levels so i think we have to see this as uh, in part a function of the way that our systems are structured um, to push Teachers to weed students out.
0: That's what they describe this course as a weed out course, right?
3: Yes, exactly. And, and certainly, this is not a, an official term in any sort of college context, but it's the kind of concept where. It's a course that is often an introductory level course or a first or second year student course that gets used to determine who gets to advance to higher levels. And so there's often a lot of pressure on the students in those classes to perform highly. And and in many cases, instructors in those classes feel pressure from the institution, from their colleagues to keep those courses extremely difficult, maybe more difficult than they have to be, as a way to limit the number of students who advance to the next level.
0: Is that fair or unfair?
3: I mean, I think there's reason to question whether
2: that's
0: fair. Meanwhile, Jones wrote an op-ed of his own in the Boston Globe under the headline, I was fired from NYU after students complained that the class was too hard. Who's next? Quoting from that piece, many students seem increasingly unwilling to put in the necessary effort to master the material, and teachers are burning out at a
2: rapid rate. But I think it's part of a larger question about how we're going to be responding to students when they encounter difficulty, when they find challenges in the classroom. You know, the good news is that students are back in the classroom, but we really need to figure out, um, you know, how to respond to them when they get into trouble. And we can't pretend as though everything has gone back to normal.
0: Jones added that the blame didn't fall on any one group, writing that teachers should be able to give a low grade without fear of being punished, that students should use failure as a teaching moment, and that administrators and deans should support their faculty.
2: We have to figure out better ways of responding to students who are struggling. You know, in the best case, this becomes a rapport between an instructor and a student, a meeting of the minds. And in the worst case, this becomes a customer service issue. And we need a customer service response on behalf of the university administration to ensure a continuing revenue stream. And I I think we can do a lot better than that.
3: There's a lot of pressure throughout the whole education system on teachers and professors to, to make sure that the people who pay the bills are getting catered to.
0: You wrote that power dynamics are shifting in higher education. What do you mean by that?
3: I mean, I think certainly there is more money in higher education on some levels um, than there has been in the past, that there's more dependence on affluent elite families to to pay full tuition, in part because we've defunded public higher education relative to previous generations. And so there's more dependence on the institution side, on on those kind of high-income families, which can lead to some more sort of privilege and entitlement from some students, But at the same time, we're also seeing a shifting dynamic in terms of students recognizing that these institutions uh, don't always work equally well for everyone and, and being more willing to speak up and say, you know what, this isn't fair. These kinds of systems, these kinds of practices that we have in place that are in theory supposed to identify the best and the brightest, but actually end up just identifying those students who are the most privileged, that this isn't fair. And so I think we also see a shifting dynamic in terms of students being willing to speak up and in some cases use their privilege for good to try to to change institutions to be more equitable in the process.
0: In the Globe article, Jones wrote that in the fall of 2020, quote, we were accused of being insufficiently sensitive to the stressful issues of the day. A reference to COVID. We were urged, he wrote, to make accommodations such as online multiple choice exams. He claims he was never told what was in the student's petition. I think
3: we've seen a society that hasn't grappled with the fact that we put a a generation of young people through a high level of trauma um, and didn't often in many cases acknowledge the stress that they were going through, Uh, losing parents or grandparents or other loved ones, having to deal with changes in the way that schooling was operating, um, kind of pushing everyone back to the status quo as quickly as possible, um, and often not kind of giving students the space to think about, can we just change the expectations for a while? Can we ratchet things down? Can we adjust the way that we're teaching students for the things that we're expecting them to be able to do in this moment when we're dealing with so much trauma.
0: So, What would you say to people who say, well, you're just babying them?
3: We have to recognize that holding students accountable to a single test or using a single test as the measure of what a good doctor is, for example, or what a good engineer will be um, is, is deeply problematic. And we also have to think about the fact that We also know from research that students' performance on these kinds of high-stakes tests, organic chemistry, for example, performance in those classes, doesn't actually predict how good of a doctor that they're going to be. And at the same time, we know that our existing supply of doctors isn't working very well for many patients, and especially those who are most medically vulnerable. The U.S., for example, has lower life expectancy than most other high-income countries, and we know that our most vulnerable patients have worse health outcomes when they're treated by physicians whose backgrounds are different from their own. But at the same time, and in part because we have these weed-out structures in place, we have huge shortages of Black and Latino doctors, doctors from low-income and rural communities, and we also have a shortage of women doctors, especially in subfields like surgery. And so we can't just ask, what are the risks to patients if doctors, for example, aren't expected to get a good grade in an undergraduate-level chemistry class? We also have to ask... What are the risks to patients and to society if those requirements are pushing out the kinds of future doctors who would be most effective in treating patients, and especially patients in these more medically vulnerable groups?
2: I struggled with organic chemistry myself when I first took it in college. It's a tough class. The issue should not be, like, why are students encountering difficulty? Um, Because there are just some topics that students are going to find challenging year after year.
0: And yes, absolutely, challenges can be positive. But the Jones debacle may have showcased how challenge isn't a one-size-fits-all concept.
3: I think it points to the fact that there are ways to do this better. And part of that comes from kind of addressing the systems of inequity that make essentially difficult classes more difficult for some students than for others, making sure that we have K-12 level funding that makes sure all students are adequately prepared for college, making sure that all students have the resources they need to thrive in college and that they're not worrying about high levels of debt when they finish their degrees. And then I think we can also do some things in terms of what's happening on the professor level. We can help to take steps to reduce the pressure on instructors to uh, kind of create these weed out courses. And we can do that by making courses more responsive, um, by making sure that teachers are teaching and learning to teach Kind of with equity and for empathy in the sense of understanding where students are and meeting them where they are and making sure that they are helping students to get the level of support that they need to be able to learn at the same level as their peers.
0: Why do you think this is important?
3: Getting into college, especially getting into elite colleges today, is much harder than it ever has been. There's more competition. And on top of that, we have to think about how in this deeply unequal economy that we are in, in this deeply precarious society that we are in, students are facing tremendous levels of pressure. We have bigger gaps between the rich and the poor. The salaries for the average salaries for things like engineers and doctors are often over well over $100,000, whereas the the average salary in the U.S. for something like a social worker is is roughly $60,000 a year. And so there's big consequences attached to who ends up in these different types of jobs. And so I think we have to recognize that if students are having trouble focusing, it's often because they're taking an overload of classes because they can't afford college tuition.
0: Why couldn't I have gotten you when I was in college?
3: Uh, That's very kind. I mean, certainly I I love teaching my students and this is something that I spend a lot of time um, thinking about. And I I certainly hope that institutions um, will see reason to invest in those faculty members who um, understand pedagogy and think a lot about pedagogy, um, as opposed to, for example, those who uh, just want to do as much research as possible or just want to um, get the grant dollars that they can. Um, But there's a lot of pressures on that front as well. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I'm Mike Rogers, and thanks for listening to Something Off Beats. This episode written and produced by Lauren Berry and Chris Blake, with audio editing by Chris Blake, original music by Myron Kaplan, and editorial support from Cooper Mall. Now to keep listening, please subscribe to us in the Odyssey app. Or Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got your own offbeat story that you think we should cover, we'd love to hear about it. Send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey. That's a u d a c y dot com. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Aya. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any
1: advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed.
2: PenFed's got great rates for everyone.
1: This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else.